Uh, okay, what are we going to do? <laughs> I thought you had some ideas, you said. <laughs> some ideas? Some rough ideas. <laughs> This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Uh, my name is Rob. Because Mc... <laughs> <laughs> I, I was looking. At, okay, I was looking. Hold on, we did this wrong. Okay, let's do the banter, banter again. Banter, banter. Uh, my name is Rob Mino. Uh Joining me, the lovely Mr. Ryan Flurry. Hello. And uh, that's it. Just the two of us. Mr. Steve Barkley is out and about in the world today, so he will not be joining us. But that's all right. Uh, hey, guess what we did on the weekend? I think we well, had our staff Christmas party. Yeah, we did have the staff Christmas party. <laughs> so first thing I want to talk about with the staff Christmas party is you were extremely well-behaved. Probably more well-behaved than I've ever seen you at a staff Christmas party in the many years that we've worked together yeah i just wasn't into you know drinking i just wanted I to just sit relax what and you know, be social was this a plan going in you were just like no oh, no i just didn't really feel like drinking you weren't feeling it huh no hmm. no that just was a weird casual relaxed night turned down a beer i no. was like i was trying to get rick to bring you a beer and you were just you weren't having it no i turned down the second beer i did have one beer Right. Sorry. Yes. You're a complete and utter screw. That's right. <laughs> but everybody was actually pretty well behaved. There was no sort of even Steve. Yeah. Steve really gets tanked. Yeah. No. It was. It was very, very Everybody mild this it. year. Yeah. Yeah. I was. I was. I was shocked. I was shocked. I was probably the big bad boy, because I got. Again, I got tipsy. I didn't even really get drunk. <laughs> I was just like. Well, we'll have to plan something for next year. Porn more wine for myself but uh yeah all right but it was still fun it was it was good and out of that however uh you give you gave away some some pretty cool gifts it looks like you went out sir and got us all little individual cowbells i did i got some black cowbells online for everybody at at banter and had them engraved with our at banter logo yeah, it's very cool. Very cool. So here it is. Yay. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but we're going to have to, we'll have to set some ground rules for, for using them because <laughs> the we don't want everybody, because it'll be chaos if everybody starts to just smack their own cowbell. That's the whole point of the cowbell. It's in a very specific location. One person has control over it. Well, that's now that we all have one. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, that's the master cowbell. Like this, these are like these. These are your souvenirs for AT Banter in case we ever flop and fail. Oh, okay, is that what they're? For? Yeah, they're like to look back on and go, "Remember when?" <laughs> I see. All right. Well, yeah. you know what you could also do is you could also actually hang this on the Christmas tree. 
We don't have a Christmas tree. Christmas ornament. You could. Uh, yeah, so that was our weekend. Uh, what else? Uh, what else happened? And you, we should actually. Now we didn't get them, but we should also tell people what Steve went out and got us. Yeah, Steve went out and got us some AT Banter hockey jerseys. I know this is be my very first hockey jersey ever. Oh, is that right? Yeah, <laughs> but it has our name on it and everything, right? Yeah, I think I don't know if it has our name on it, but I know it's got a, our number on it. So like you're one, I think I'm two, Steve's three. It's our re- reflects our seating positions here in the guitar dungeon. Mm, so cool. so it might have might have our names on it as well. Yeah, it's very cool. I'm excited about that. But yeah, they're, they're, I guess they're not they won't, they won't be in until next week. So so uh, yeah, that's exciting too. So a lot of movement on uh, AT banter crap. Yeah, I also um, this week I'm expecting the new AT banter guitar picks. Oh really? Yep. Are we going to give those away? Like what? What's what are we doing with those? Well, I got them for myself and Steve. You know who play guitar, but you know we'll hand them out to you guys as well. And I don't know. You know I've also got some extra AT banter cowbells that we could use as giveaways. Um, it just all depends on how we're going to figure out the shipping. Hmm. We just give up this podcasting and just make crap. <laughs> yeah, we could. We we'll go into the craft business. Yeah, but uh, no, we. I think. I think what what inspired you, Ryan, was was uh, Alexis from Stump Kitchen and all her merch. Yeah, and she had sent us some you know, Stump Kitchen stickers and buttons, and I thought, you know, this would be kind of cool, you know. Our cowbell is our our instrument of choice for the show, and. I thought it'd be kind of neat to get us some own, some of our own little individual cowbells with our logo. So uh-huh. it wasn't well, listen. It wasn't expensive. So I'm going to sell mine on eBay. Every <laughs> Start an auction. Right. <laughs> there you go. We'll have an AT banter cowbell auction. Get three dollars for it. Three, seven, eight, <laughs> ten, oh, twelve. Boy. Oh boy, are you optimistic? Hey, our guests might want our swag. <laughs> Our audience, you know, they're they're devoted, they're loyal. That's true. They're rabid. That's right. They want uh, more, more cowbell. Yeah. Uh, hey, um, I would ask you what we're doing today, but you don't even really know what we're doing today. I don't have a no clue. clue. Not at all. Well, that's because uh, we had a little bit of an unexpected hiccup with guests. Uh, this happens occasionally. Sometimes we get a, a scheduling glitch, yeah. and uh, we find ourselves empty-handed when it comes to a guest. Uh, and that's what's happened today. But the show must go on, sir. Yes, it uh, must. We're going to so have, have an a, idea. Yeah, we're going to have a couple gaps between Christmas and New Year's. So, yeah, we've got to get them in. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Maybe All right. Some, some act, a little bit extra content. All right. Who knows? Maybe go back. Maybe make a blooper show again. Oh, yeah. Forgot think, all about I think that. We have a, a pretty good. Uh, we don't make as many bloopers as we used to, but we've had a few lately. Oh, I'm sure over the past year, there's still some comedy gold. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, so who knows? Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens in that, in that regard. Nice. Uh, but. Here's my idea for today's show. We're going to turn the mics inward yet again today. And I, Ryan, am going to talk to you a little bit. Uh Uh-oh. 
That's right. We are going to talk about you. Great. I can tell how excited you I are. I am. I'm thrilled to bits. You want to try to get our guests on the line again? <laughs> Is Colleen available? <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, listen, you know, I thought, you know, you have a very unique story. Um, and you have a very unique, um, you know, trajectory uh, into where you are. And I think that, uh, and we've we've hinted at it before, but we've never really talked about it too much. And I think that there are people in the audience that uh, that you know certainly would be interested in it and uh, would would get something out of a little bit about your story. So, with that being said, let's. Um, I think we got a little couple pieces of news here that we could talk about. What do you think? Well, let's do it. Uh, hey, did you hear about this, Ryan? Uh, last week, TransLink, uh, that's the local um, transit authority here in Vancouver, uh, for those people who are outside of the Lower Mainland. Uh, but they announced some big news uh, that beginning next year, they're going to be installing tactile and Braille signs at every bus stop in Metro Vancouver for the blind and visually impaired. I did hear that. That's a lot of Braille. That's a lot of signs. Basically, every every bus stop in the city, uh, which amounts to about 8,500 bus stops, um, are, are all going to be labeled uh, with Braille and tactile signage. Um, so each sign is going to include the unique five-digit bus stop ID number and the word stop or the word bay number to identify the bus stop. The bay number thing, that's that's for stops that are within like a, a bus exchange right the stops are basically all the ones that are just like on the street there is also going to include the route number and a customer service telephone number all in braille they're also going to be installing tactile walking surface indicators at uh the different um bus exchanges and stations so sir your thoughts I think it's great. You know, I think this is all a sign of people ramping up for the whole Accessible Canada Act that, you know, people are working on. And I think the more Braille and accessible signage we have, the the better off we all are. You know, we know the senior population is aging and, you know, at some point to keep their independence, you know, even if you just learn the alphabet in Braille and, you know, numbers one through ten, this is this is a huge asset and kudos to the city for doing it. Well, it's TransLink. It's not the city. Well, then, thank you, TransLink. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I, I think it's great. Um, that's a big commitment to Braille all these bus stops. I mean, eighty-five hundred. That's that's a lot of lot of tactile signage. Um, and I think that, yeah, I mean, certainly it's um, it's certainly overdue. Um, the you know, it's interesting because because. This article that that we're we're pulling this from talks about uh, the pilot project for accessible bus stops. Um, Is that the being, key to access being one? In existence since 2012. Oh yeah. Um, and they talk about um, tactile and, and braille signage at the Joyce Collingwood station, yeah. which is right across the street from the CNIB, and coincidentally right across the street from where we used to work for for quite a few years. Um, and as well, they, they also mentioned the sort of the tactile strips that, that um, they put down on the ground to indicate um, bus stops and 
like where you would board a bus and the tactile strips that um, are actually, I believe they're throughout all the, all the SkyTrain stations now um, to sort of warn people where the, um, the tracks are. Right. Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, that was way overdue. Um, but those are all in. So these new, these new tactile markings that they're talking about, I'm assuming um, they would be putting down, say, like right, right at the spot where people would be, would normally be like line up to actually get onto the bus. So, you know, somebody who is visually impaired would be able to sort of, you know, find the, the, the bus stop or the bay and, you know, read what bay it is. And then they'd be able to use their cane to sort of, go along the ground and, and figure out where exactly that that bus is going to board. So, um, yeah, it's It's, you know, it's all very good stuff. I, I don't know. I I'm kind of wondering what took them this long. Um, I mean, if they've been playing with this idea since 2012, I mean, that's, that's quite the pilot project for nine years, but. Well, and that's why I kind of think, you know, the, the momentum, the, the accessible Canada act is getting, and, you know, there's talk of a, a British Columbia, Disability Act. I think you know more and more that that gets talked about. The more people's eyes are being opened, and the more pressure is being applied to these different agencies to become inclusive. Yeah, um, yeah, that that's that's interesting. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if they've if if they've been feeling the pressure or not, or if it or if, if the timing does sort of coincide with the uh, with the Accessible Canada Act. I mean, I guess I would I would hope so, but. Um, you know, whatever the reason, I mean, it's it's definitely good news for for uh, people who transit a lot here in the Lower Mainland. Um, you know, this is going to be uh, you know way easier, and it's especially nice too because um, all those individual bus stops, uh, like the article said, uh, have a a unique five digit number. And what you can do is that Translink has an app where you can go in and you can plug in that number and then it will tell you um, when the next bus is going to is going to be coming. So that, again, could really, you know, be really handy for people who are with visual impairments because they, they'll actually know what stop they're at and they'll be able to plug that in and they'll be able to, to have, you know, access to all the information that everybody else does. So... Now, what would be really nice if we had a system like uh, Navalink, right? Uh, the people that we, the folks that we talked to from, I believe it was Madrid, who had the the big, um, they're not, whatever they're the... Oh, right, like the QR code type thing. The QR codes, right? Like yeah. if you could just scan that with a phone right. and it would automatically tell you all that information. Right. It'd be a little bit easier, but... You know, Navilens. Like, Navi, I'm sorry. Yes, the folks at Navilens. Yeah. Um, what did I call it? Uh, Navilink or something. That's a completely different thing. It's a traffic <laughs> control thing, I think. <laughs> but shout out to them, too. I'm sure they're doing good work, too. That's right. Uh, hey, guess what else is in the news just in time for Christmas? Tell me, tell me, tell me. Uh, Target is now offering Ira for free in their stores. Is that just in the U.S. or is that Canada as well? Because I think there's some Target in the, in Canada, isn't there? Well, there used to be. Hmm. Uh, they they did a big push up here, but uh, a lot of it fell flat. I don't know if there's any left, to be honest. But uh, no, I think this is this is mainly just down in the states. Okay. You know, adding to the list of the many many venues that are now offering Ira for free, including 
over 40 airports and a bunch of public transit systems, college campuses. I mean, these guys are um, are really pushing it, um, pushing the, you know this service out there, and they're really getting out there. And um, it's pretty amazing to see the partnerships that they're that they're getting. I mean, they, they, we talked about uh, there's a couple um, grocery chains. Yeah, there's an airport in Manitoba, and I think Toronto Pearson International, I think, is now accessible as well. Yep. With Ira, still haven't heard anything about YVR here in Vancouver. But no, but it's only a matter of time. It I is. Mean, you know, with with everyone. I mean, and Target's a big get. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how many stores. Well, let me see if they they six hundred stores hmm. in, in the US uh, that are now offering Ira for free for visually impaired shoppers. So and I mean that's such a perfect um, environment to be using Ira in as well. I mean, you know, say what you will about the airports. I mean the airports are, are obviously vital. Uh, you know, for somebody who's a who's a visually impaired traveler in an airport, I mean it it could just be the difference of making your flight or not making yep. your flight. Um, but for something like shopping, I mean, it's just as important. I mean, you know, you, you're wandering around Target. I mean, I'm not visually impaired. I've, I get I get lost at the mall. So, I mean, and Target Target's a big store. So, I mean, I could see that how useful that would be for your shopping experience to be able to just to just, uh, you know, pop onto Ira and get a little bit of input in terms of where you're at or if the, the gift that you're looking for is in your hand. Um, well, and I don't think, you know, and how many of us who are blind or visually impaired have tried asking a store clerk to describe something to us? You know, they, they may do, you know, they're doing their best job to give you as much help as they can, but the IRA agents are trained. So chances are them describing to you a shirt or a pair of pants or whatever it is, a vase you're looking at, may be a whole lot more descriptive than just a store clerk who can only give you a couple minutes of their time. Right. So, yeah, it's it's a huge, huge get, and it's exciting, exciting times. Wow. Even even finding a store clerk, yep. especially around Christmas time, uh, good luck with that. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this is, this is great, you know, and I think that for every major retailer or major airport or major um, grocery chain, that Ira gets under their belt, um, it's just going to help build their momentum. Um, and, you know. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, you know, how much more momentum can they gain? Like, they're just steamrolling, right? So, you know, it's interesting, too. You know, we, we look at the other offers in the market, like Be My Eyes. I was talking to a customer the other day who ended up using uh, Be My Eyes for something at home. And they actually had an agent that was here in British Columbia. <laughs> oh, no way. Yeah. So I don't know if they're like geolocating where the call's coming from. I don't know, but it was just quite a coincidence. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. But you know what, what makes, what, what I wonder, or you know what I wonder, though, is that 600 stores, I wonder how much it's costing Target to actually do this. Like well, that's just it. Like, stores, that's a lot. That's part of the whole Ira thing that, you know, nobody knows right like i guess unless you're in that partnership conversation with ira we have no idea how it's working you know what's the kickback is there a percentage and everything that's sold or is it just you know here's a bunch of minutes this is what it's going to cost you and you go from there it's an interesting business plan i don't know 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that, you know, on Ira's side, certainly the, their goal is to just get everywhere. Yeah. And because they know that once, once the community, you know, is used to using the system, um, there's a good chance that they're, you know, they're going to want it. They're going to want it for home or they're going to want to be able to use it, you know, whenever they, they want, um, if they're out on the street or, or wherever. So they know that they're going to be able to, it's, it's only going to improve their subscription base, um, getting them into for free, getting them into these places. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting, interesting business model. Uh, and I think it's, it's, obviously being pretty successful for them um at least in terms of getting that technology out there i don't know how many mainstream uh articles that i that i've read over the past year about ira i mean it's yeah it's really becoming uh ubiquitous so uh and that's i think that that's you know a real credit to to their marketing people and and their sort of overall plan um, and this is just, like I said, Target's a huge get. I mean, who's who's bigger than Target? I mean, maybe, I guess, Walmart. Mm-hmm. Uh, but who knows? They could be in talks with them, too. I mean, if they were to yeah. get Walmart next year, oh, good Lord. Yeah. That's going to be huge. So, you know, and they were kind of smart, too, in the way that, you know, they 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 picked their battles. Like, they went, you know, they, they picked transportation first. They They started going after the airports. Uh, and then from there, you know, they, they, you know, continued to build that and they picked up, I think, grocery chains next. They, they, they picked up a few national grocery chains. Now they're getting into expanding into the retail market um, while still, you know, increasing all of the you know, transportation and the groceries. Um, yeah, who knows? Who knows where they're going to go next? Well, and it's going to be really interesting, too, because you can people have done reviews on using ira with the bose ar frames sunglasses that have the little bluetooth uh, the bluetooth they have speakers built in and there's rumors that next year in 2020 bose is in talks and working with ira right now to come up with a pair of bose frames that actually have a camera so you won't actually have to pull your phone out they'll be actually be able to see what you're looking at through your Bose AR frames. Very cool. Yeah. Okay, here's an interesting one for you. Do you ever wake up in the middle of the night in a sweat thinking, oh my God, if only I could access memes? (laughs) You know what? I'm going to be really upfront and honest with you and tell you I still don't even know what a meme is. <laughs> All right, you ready for the official definition of a meme? I am. Well, this is of an internet meme, I should say, okay. because the the term meme actually is an actual um term, but I'm just going to talk we're going to talk about internet memes, which yep. is what we're talking about here. So, an internet meme could be anything from an image to an email to a video file. However, the most common meme is the image of a person or animal with a funny or witty caption. The proliferation of social media has led to internet memes spreading very quickly and reaching more people. There are literally thousands right. of memes. And, you know, right now, Baby Yoda memes are big. Yeah, I've been seeing some of that mentioned on Twitter. Right. 
So now, sir, you can be involved in the meme process. Apparently what's happened is Carnegie Mellon University researchers have come up with a method that will automatically identify memes and will apply pre-written templates to add descriptive text, making them intelligible via existing assistive technologies, e.g. screen readers. These six researchers came up with a system to classify and translate memes with up to 92% accuracy. Visually impaired people generally use screen readers and built-in accessibility features to help them navigate around the internet. According to a study, social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter allow users to add alternative text to their images, but most users are not aware of the feature and simply do not use it. Ain't that the truth? Uh, this has resulted in just 0.1% of images being accessible for visually impaired people. Cole Gleason, a PhD student at CMU's Computer or Human Computer Interaction Institute, oh, that's a cool school, <laughs> said that basic computer vision techniques make it possible to describe the images underlying each meme. Optical character recognition techniques are used to decrypt the overlaid text, which can modify utterance of a meme, according to the report. For each meme, it is necessary to make one temp template describing the image and the overlaid text can be added for each occurrence of the meme. Okay, so this, this is where it probably gets off into the weeds for you. So basically a lot of these memes, it's, it's like the same picture. Okay, so uh, say, um, say it's a picture of somebody putting on a pair of sunglasses. Okay, everybody would use that same picture and they would just overlay different text like a different caption or something funny or something over that same image. So I guess what they're talking about here is that if they can, they, they'd figure out the alt text for that picture and that would stay constant. And then OCR technology would actually be able to output the, the text that is overlaid over that image. So again, though, it sounds to me like it's, it's going to be another battle with content creators. You know, we've been fighting with them to alt tag their images. Now, if they don't actually put text into that meme template, yep. then the screen reader is still not going to see it. Yes. That's right. right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's still, it's still down to um, the, the um, way that the meme is created right and a lot of a lot of those memes like there are websites that you can go to like that will create memes so literally you would go in you pick the picture you type out what you want the caption to say and then the website goes in and dynamically makes that image hmm. and then lets you download it and then you can do whatever you want with it right. that's generally how these memes are created hmm. so that's where the that's where it would need to be this technology would need to be inserted would be at that phase, right? You'd go to the website, you'd pick your picture, and who knows, maybe the website would just automatically alt tag at least the the original image right. for you. So it, it could be that the person who's creating the meme doesn't even need to do anything, and it would be an accessible meme. Um, it, I guess it, it would come down to the technology that the website uses to create the meme for people, if that makes sense. Yeah, I guess, you know, I'd actually like to maybe get you to 
create one and send me one, you know, because if I'm browsing through a website and there's a meme there, will I know it's an actual, will I know it's a meme or will I think it's just part of the content of the website? Probably. Well, you know, probably what you, I mean, I don't know. It, it all, it really all depends on, on how they end up all tagging that. But I mean, I imagine they would all tag it in a way that, you know, it would be pretty obvious that it's a meme. Mm. Like you'd see, you know, image of a man putting on a pair of sunglasses, you know, with the words Putin on my sunglasses overlaid onto it. Something like that, right? Yeah, see, um, to me that makes to me that's just alt tagging an image. That and that, that's right? really at the at the end of the day. That's, that's all it is. All this is okay. Um, the the OCR part of it is really sort of the the new the new aspect of this, um, because you know that that image is going to stay the same across you know all the memes um, of that particular image. So I don't know. It's, you know, honestly, this is old. really in terms of hills to die on or things to really be investing a lot of your time into in terms of accessibility. Memes really aren't going to be one of them. But, you know, that being said, there there are they're a big part of our culture. Like people, especially if you, you know, you're you're heavily into social media and stuff. Mm-hmm. Memes are everywhere. And um, to not have access to those it could be a fair, be, be a big deal for sort of the younger generation that cares about that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, I, I think it's good. I mean, on the one hand, you can you, you can kind of give it a, you know, a bit of a chuckle and, you know, say, is this really what we should be working on? But, you know, in all honesty, you could, you know, you could say the same thing for Netflix movies. You know, yeah, it's all access. Do we really want to make, you know, Netflix movies accessible with, with audio description, I mean, is that really enriching somebody's life to be able to watch Bird Box? But you know, it's you know, we, if we want to level the playing field, yeah, those are places that that are important too, because you know, it's it's all it's all part of our culture and and part of um, socialization, uh, especially online. So, very interesting stuff. So, who knows? Maybe next year we'll we'll see more in accessible memes. Do they have a? Start sending them to you. Do, yeah. Do they have a? I was just going to say, do they have an example or a sample link no. in that article? No. 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 Um, you know, and again, this will be technology that, again, I, you're absolutely right that it's it's going to be the onus is going to be on uh, the meme creators mm-hmm. in order to whether or not they're going to run with this. But yeah, what I'm really surprised with too is that that number 0.1 percent, um, despite the fact that that Facebook and Twitter. Um, all allow the creation of alt tags. Mm-hmm. The fact that nobody uses them, um, you know, is is disheartening. Um, but again, I think that by the time we actually get people on board with using them more, what we're just going to find is that the the um, machine learning AI component of being able to just build um, a fairly accurate alt tag is is just going to replace that anyways. Yeah, and I, you know, I really look forward to that day. You know, it doesn't take long to still find websites that are inaccessible for us that are blind. So, you know, the more AI can step in and, you know, fill in those gaps, I'm all for it because, you know, some web designers, yes, give them credit. They're, they're standing up and taking notice and making the changes, but there's still so many out there. Like, you just punch in any domain you can think of, and chances are that site's going to have some accessibility issues. So... Bring on AI. 
Well, especially in terms of pictures. Yeah. And I mean, not only that, I mean, we've, we've learned a lot about in talking with, you know, countless people in the industry that the, there's a real science, not a science, but there's a real art, I would say, to alt tagging a picture. Right. I mean, you can really run the, the whole uh, gambit of, of quality, like image description quality. Yeah, you could have, you know, black dog standing on green grass, or you could have, you know, man standing with black dog looking off into the sunset, you know, you get as descriptive as you want to, right? That's right, exactly. So, um, you know, depending on the care uh, that, that, and the context of the picture mm-hmm. can even change. Yeah. Um, you know, there's all kinds of, of things to, to really take into account. So, you know, are the people in the picture happy? Are mm-hmm. they sad? Are they, you know, what are they doing? You know, what's the what's the tone of the picture? I mean, all these things, um, you can go real deep with your alt tags depending on, on you know, what you want to instill in that. So, I don't know. Like, you know, I think at the end of the day, there's still never going to be anything better than a content creator that takes the time to make a a high quality alt tag you know machine learning and ai is never going to going to be able to do that but at least if we can get the percentage higher than (laughs) 0.1 of images online that are actually alt tag that would kind of be nice because i'm sure you're here you're sick of hearing graphic one graphic two well and you know what it's going to take and uh, you know i i hate to hate to say this but and, and not litigation that's not where i'm going it's going to take companies like Facebook and Twitter to say, you are not allowed to post here unless it has A, B, C, D, E, alt tags, alt text, um, whatever accessibility goes into your tweet, your post, whatever. You can't post. And if we see something that's up here that's not accessible, we're pulling it down. Hmm. Yeah, that would be interesting. I don't think that would ever happen, but yeah, that would, that would be interesting. I mean... You know, Twitter, you know, we, we've, Twitter's especially frustrating because at least Facebook doesn't hide the fact that you can all tag an image behind, uh, like, your, the options menu. Like, it should just be turned on by default, but you actually have to go into the back end, into your settings, and actually turn the ability to put in alt text on, hmm. which is stupid. Yeah. You know, it all should just be really above board. <clears throat> it should be really easy to find for people because I think more people would be happy to do it. Um, it's just that they, a lot of people don't know how. Well, and I don't know. You know, web accessibility isn't, isn't new. And, you know, there's been a lot of push towards educating web designers and companies to be more accessible. And, you know, people are taking notice now. But we've given them a pass for far too long. You know, even yesterday, I, was, I went into Twitter, the, the Twitter.com site, to edit my profile. And that was a pain. You know, I got it done, but this, this is nothing new. And these things just need to be developed from the ground up. And if they aren't, then they need to go back in and and make them accessible. There's no excuse. You know, I don't know how big Twitter is. I don't know how big Facebook is. I know they're huge, but you know, come on, you've got engineers, you got all these teams. There's no excuse to have anything on your website inaccessible. 
Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I mean, you know, and it's, you know, all taking pictures is not, again, it's not rocket science. Um, I, you know, I think that there just needs to be the will to do it. Um, yeah. Well, and, you know, you know, I think if, if, if the people are going to you know, levy fines against companies that, you know, are inaccessible, then make the fine substantial, you know, $100, $500, $1,000, $10,000. I'm sorry, that's not enough. You know, we're giving you a year to make your site accessible. If it's not accessible in a year, you're being fined a million dollars. Like, start putting some pressure on these companies to get it done. Hey everyone, Ryan from Canadian Assistive Technologies here to tell you about a product called WayAround. WayAround consists of a free iOS or Android app or the optional Waylink scanner that connects to your phone via Bluetooth to identify and label items around your home or office. Using the Way tags that come in the form of stickers, buttons, magnets and clips, you can label just about anything you can think of, such as clothing items, products in your fridge or freezer, plants in your garden, recipes, and so much more. I've used the Way tags to label my Blu-ray movies and my vinyl LP collection. If you'd like to find out more information about the Way Around product, please visit us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H.com. Or call us toll-free at 1-844-795-8324. Thanks for listening. Okay. Well... Now it's that, that time you've been waiting for. Oh, is it? Sorry, I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? You love talking about yourself. What you uh, no, I don't. All right, Mr. Ryan Flurry. Yes, sir. As our audience knows, you are visually impaired. No, I'm blind. Okay. As our audience knows. <laughs> <laughs> My vision is not impaired. It is gone. So for those people who may not be familiar with your story, um, were you born blind? No, I wasn't. I had sight until I was 23 years old. And one late night, I was on my way home from work. I was working in the forestry at the time. And I got back to the city I was living in with my roommate. And we had a third person with us that I'd been working with. We decided to drive him home to another city that was about two hours away. So we dropped him off and turned around and started back towards my hometown. And it was about three o'clock in the morning and I'm told I fell asleep at the wheel and drove off the road and hit a rock, which then left me totally blind. I smashed my face into the steering wheel and spent three months in the hospital. Well, no, no, I was in the hospital two weeks, but my jaws were wired shut for three months. Oh my God. Yeah. So it was a bit of a mess, but fortunate, you know, I walked out and like I said, it left me totally blind. It severed my optic nerve and ruptured my eyes and shattered my nose. My nose is actually built from a piece of bone from my skull. So I, I, from what I'm told, I look different than I did when I had sight. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I should, yeah. You should show us, you should show us pictures. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure we've got some somewhere. Um, so that so that so that was 23. I was 23. Yeah. So, 
that must have been a pretty big adjustment. So you were in the actual hospital for three months. No, I was only in the hospital for two weeks, but my jaws were wired shut for three months. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that must have been hard, like just two weeks in the hospital and then you're, you're out back into the world and everything is completely different for you. To, to be really honest, I don't remember a whole lot. Um, you know, I've got a lot of gaps in my memory going back to that period and, and even before that. But I hadn't been close to my, to my family. You know, my mom and dad lived in Alberta and my siblings were there as well and I was living in British Columbia. So we weren't close, but you know, being in the hospital as you're getting ready to leave, they don't, or they didn't at the time, really give me much hope. They were all, you're gonna go home and you know, live with your family and you know, just live your life doing whatever you're gonna do. Really, there wasn't a lot of inspiration, motivation to you know, pick up your socks and, and move forward. So I ended up going back to um, the city I lived in, which was Kamloops, and was living with my girlfriend. And, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of anger, um, a, a lot of depression. Um, you know, mentally, I, I was not in a good place. Um, now, now, what kind of resources did you have at that point? Well, at that time, basically, they, they put you in touch with, or me in touch with the C, local CNIB office, the Canadian National Institute for the Blind. And, you know, like, like I said, my jaws were already tried for three months, and I don't think I started taking any Braille courses for at least the first six months, maybe longer. Um, and, and, you know, the local CNB office was really great. You know, there was, there was the ability to get some Braille instruction. Um, the ability to get some orientation and mobility skills, so learning how to use a cane to get around and not, you know, fall downstairs and, and that type of thing. But for me, you know, when I had sight, I was active. I skied, I snowboarded, I mountain biked. You know, I was, I was active. Um, and losing that was pretty devastating. You know, I lost my independence. I couldn't just get on a bike and, you know, take off for a couple hours. And I, I, don't, I don't know who to blame for not getting involved in activities sooner, but there didn't seem to be a whole lot of activities for the blind in Kamloops where I was living. You know, I'm sure BC Blind Sports here in the Lower Mainland would come up once in a while and put on a workshop or a clinic on, you know, whatever, curling or skiing or tandem cycling. But that wasn't very often. And so the opportunities to get involved, to me anyway, didn't seem like there was very many. Um, so I didn't. Um, I, I, I did some Braille. I ended up getting married, ended up having a son, and that marriage died <laughs> died pretty quick. I think it was two, three years. Right. Um, but, you know, I had, I had good support around me. You know, my, my friends in Kamloops, 
you know, at the time I was going to church. So, you know, I was playing guitar and bass in the worship teams at church. So I had really good support around me. And that's really what kept me going was the support of my friends um, and my family, even though, you know, they're a province away. Um, I've always been pretty independent. I left home when I was 16 and don't, well, at back then, didn't need to rely on anybody for anything. And of course, you know, losing my sight changed all that. So um, that's where I've, I've gotten all of my strength from is supportive family, friends, and people in the community that, you know, aren't related to me, like, you know, CNAB. They were very beneficial to me early on in at least having a place to go, people who understood what the blindness was that I was dealing with, um, you know, and talking to other people in the blindness community. You know, I didn't spend a lot of time with, with many of them, but, you know, the ones I did spend time with and talk to were, were very beneficial, very supportive, and, and gave me hope. You know, CNAB put me in touch with a gentleman in Kamloops named, named Todd, and I won't give out his last name, but I'm sure everybody who knows Kamloops and the name Todd knows who I'm talking about. But Todd was blinded um, <clears throat> at, at, at roughly, I think, the same age and was also a musician and had a guide dog and, you know, had, was working full time and very similar circumstances. And getting to know Todd and his wife and just being able to sit down and talk with him and play guitar with him and um, was was a huge, huge benefit to me. Um, you know, I, unfortunately, I haven't talked to Todd in a number of years, but I really think it doesn't matter what your disability is or what you what your weakness is. Having the support network around you to to just give you the the strength, the courage, determination to carry on. You know, you don't have to be an athlete. You don't have to be a musician. You just need to have the the support of people around you, someone to talk to to be able to overcome your hurdles. You know, don't get me wrong. There's definitely days where I feel trapped in my living room and can't get out, <clears throat> excuse me, can't get out and go for a walk. But that's my fault. That's nobody else's. Um, you know, if I wanted to regain some independent mobility, you know, I'd get on the phone with Santa B and say, hey, let's, let's do some O&M. I want to be able to get on the bus and go to the mall and meet somebody for coffee or go out and look at some vinyl records or go to the, go to the music store and look at guitars. Um, you know, the only thing holding me back is me. Does it feel like it's been a long road? It's, it's a, it's a constant, um, it's a constant journey is what it is. You know, I got my first piece of assistive technology, um, in 1997, which was a Braille and speak 2000. And, you know, I didn't keep up with my Braille but, you know, I still know the alphabet and the numbers, so I can, you know, stumble my way through it. But, you know, I think any, anybody's life is a constant journey. You know, we don't know what's around the next bend. So you, you, you go about your daily life with your family, your friends, your job, your activities. You know, you're always learning Hopefully, you're always moving forward. You know, there are setbacks. Um, but I look at how far I've come, 
and it really kind of amazes me sometimes that I am still here, um, that I am employed, that I am remarried, that I have a good group of friends around me. Um, and I think it, it really all comes down to the choices we make. You know, if I was still living in, in, in Kamloops, I'd still be limited by what's available to me. Here in the Lower Mainland, I've got access to BC Blind Sports. I've got access to dragon boating, blind curling, disabled skiing, you know, tandem cycling. If there's something I wanted to do, it's here. Right. Um, so, again, having more opportunities to get plugged into a community, whatever that community may be, is hugely advantageous to having a you know a happy healthy life right and that's that in and itself is hard for me to wrap my head around because i'm lazy you know I, I i'm a homebody i like my guitar dungeon i've got my my tv my guitars you know it's my wife has to drag me out sometimes to just say look you haven't been out of the house all week let's let's get out right um and i think that's that's a definite necessity. You have to have somebody in your life or in your community that can actually either swing by and pick you up or just motivate you to get out of the house because it is so easy to just sit sit down and not move. And I think yeah. that's that's the biggest struggle for me is just is just getting the motivation to get out of the house, to go for a walk. Because it is, like I say, it's just so easy for me to just sit down in front of the TV or, or music and just not leave the house all week. Sure. And that's not healthy. No, you know, and, and honestly, like, I'm kind of the same. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, but, you know, it really does make you feel for people who are, say, in smaller communities um, that just don't have access to a lot of those uh, activities. Um, and it really drives home the fact that, you know, this, this is this is an issue for smaller communities absolutely um, and for people who are who are living in them because um, yeah when you, when you don't have access to um, accessible sports or uh, you don't feel comfortable or, or you, you don't even really necessarily have much of a community around you of of people who are in the same boat as you uh, yeah it can really feel isolating well and you don't know you don't even know what's available to you. You know, like if you were living in, I don't know, a smaller community like, you know, Cranbrook or Creston or Penticton, you know, your, 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 your opportunities, your resources are going to be very, very limited unless you're able to travel. Um, so, you know, it's really tough. You, you have to have a social outlet, whether it's just going out for coffee and playing cards with friends. Um, you, you've got to be you got to be proactive and, and, and advocate for yourself and, you know, you're, you're in control of your own destiny. So, you know, community is everything you ha you have to have that. So I'm going to turn a few of our standard questions onto you now. So what is, what's probably the piece of assistive technology that you use the most or that you get the most value out of? That would be my screen reader jaws for windows. Got my first copy in 1997. It was version 3.2 on, I think it was Windows 95, I believe. 
and my Braille Speak 2000 back then. And I, I use JAWS every day. Yeah. Every day. You know, I've, I've slowly been making the transition over to NVDA. Um, but, you know, JAWS is my go-to tool. That's because you're a computer nerd. <laughs> well, I, you know, and what's funny is I had no computer skills at all before I lost my sight. Yeah, sure, in school we, you know, we had computer class and typing classes, you know, on IBMs and stuff like that, but it wasn't Windows-based. Right. And like I said, I'd been working in the forestry, so when I lost my sight, you know, what was I going to do? You know, I didn't think I could go back into forestry, and I thought, well, you know, um, I can use a telephone and... I'll probably have to get some computer training. So I ended up going to BCIT here in the Lower Mainland and took call center training because I thought, well, you know, I'll learn to use a computer and I can use a telephone and I'll be set. So, you know, I took that, took the call center training course and started, you know, applying for jobs and was looking at ICBC because they had a pretty big call center and there was a couple people with disabilities that were working there and, and same with the Royal Bank of Canada. They've got some blind employees there. And then um, I think before I even had an interview at ICBC, a gentleman we both know uh, who is very dear to my heart as well, uh, I've known since 1997, is Mr. Steve Barclay, who was working at Aroga Technologies and, you know, basically... The rest is history. I started at Aroga in 2000 and been with Steve ever since. And in terms of that, uh, what do you think has kept you in the assistive technology industry since then? I think a couple things. Um, I was a very good JAWS user and seemed to take to the assistive technology relatively easily. It's computers and that just seemed to come naturally. And so, you know, I was doing, you know, the tech support for, for Aroga and, and, and still to, to this day for Canadian Assistive Technology. And I enjoyed learning the new products and seeing what manufacturers are working on and what some of the potential possibilities are down the road. I think... You know, one of the, the other things that really keep me in this industry is that, and, and we've talked to people about this before all the time, we find that the the blind and visually impaired are un, underemployed. You know, they, they may get in the door, they may get the interview, and they never get the call back. And, you know, I'm very fortunate to have had a, had employment for as long as I have. And not to say that, you know, I would go looking elsewhere if this didn't pan out. But, you know, I'm good at what I do. Um, I think I've helped establish a bunch of relationships over the past 20 years going on next year. And I value those relationships and those friendships. Um, and I'd like to maintain those. So, you know, I think that's that's the big key that keeps me in this industry is, is the relationships and friendships and, and helping people solve their technology issues and let them know what's, what's available to them, um, what the possibilities are. There's still a lot of uh, people out there that just don't know what's available to them. And, you know, a simple phone call can change their lives. 
Yeah, I would say that that's that's similar to my answer in terms of uh, it, it's exciting when you talk to somebody who had no idea that um, a certain technology even existed mm-hmm. that is going to have a huge impact on their quality of life. Um, you know, it never it never fails to just make you feel great when you're when you're telling somebody about something that they just light up at the at the idea that this thing even exists and they had no idea. So, yeah, education is is you know is definitely an issue with this industry. I mean, it would be great if we could you know get the word out easier. Um, you know, and we we have you know bits of things that get into the mainstream media. Um, you know, some, occasionally something gets on Dr. Phil and people, you know, have more exposure to it, uh, but it's pretty rare. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're, we're reaching a point now where, you know, if you are online and have access to a smartphone or a computer, you can type in, you know, accessible, whatever technology or accessible um, appliances and you'll find talking microwaves and toaster ovens and, you know, tactile washing machines and dryers, you know, and, and that's all kind of high tech. But, you know, we also have the low tech stuff too, like, you know, the pen friend that CNIB sells. My wife and I have this little wooden house that has all these little drawers in it and all the drawers are numbered and that's the ad, it's the advent calendar. Okay. And so I use the pen friend labels, um, let my wife Linda put all these little labels on each of the numbered doors and they're not in order. So it's not, you know, it's not easy to find them, but every night, you know, I use my pen friend and I touch the tip of the pen to the label and it tells me what the number of that door is. So I look for, you know, tonight it'll be number 10 and we use it for the pet treats, you know, so it gives me some independence to take part in an activity that, you know, we like to do every year. Right. So, you know, we've got the low tech, like the pen friend, you know, we could, we could have done the same with the way around stickers as well. Right. Um, you know, so we're, we're at a point now where it's very exciting that we have so much available to us, so much more is accessible to us. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's really easy to find accessible alternatives to everyday objects now or make something accessible. And that's, and that's Ryan Flurry in a nutshell. Yeah. I'm not a great storyteller, but Hey, when are you going to, uh, when are you going to write the memoirs? <laughs> Never. <laughs> uh, well, that's okay. Well, uh, I'll be like the whistleblower and I'll, I'll write like the tell all <laughs> behind the podcast. Yeah. Uh, tell-all book. All right. About AT Banter when we when we hit a big. Wait, we're not big. Well, I mean, we got merch, so that's right. Not selling any yet, but it could change. It, it could change. Who knows? Maybe there'll be an outpouring of demand for these uh, cowbells. <laughs> you know what yeah. we'd have to do is we'd have to if they can do braille signage on bus stops. Yeah. I may have to get AT Banter embossed on some cowbells that's a good idea have to find out what that would cost yeah or who even does that that's right figure it out <laughs> that's right your five dollar cowbell just became 25 dollar cowbell <laughs> <laughs> uh all right let's get out of here um hey ryan rob 
uh, where can people find us? They can find us online at www.atbanter.com. They can also drop us an email if they so desire, uh, cowbell at atbanter.com. They can also find us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. I think that is going to about do enough damage for one week as we can. Um, we got a show next week? We do. We have an exciting show. Should, oh. we, should, we, should we tell people what it is? I, go ahead. I'm, I'm all for it. I like teasing people with a feather. All right. Well, we have the folks from Bristol Barrel coming on to tell us about the Canute. Oh, the Canute. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The new oh, Braille yeah. e-reader. A snapshot of what the Canute is. The Canute is a nine-line, 360-cell um, Braille e-reader. So you will be able to load your books on it and read refreshable Braille. Now these guys, but this isn't new, is it? Like this. This uh, is new. This is still a prototype. It hasn't started shipping yet. It's oh, supposed okay. to start shipping, I think, early first quarter of next year. Oh, sweet! But okay. everybody, including us, are taking pre-orders now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm looking forward to having them on the show. Um, right. You know, there's a lot of people that have had it in their hands, and it's had some good reviews. So we'll see where it's at and what's coming next. Sounds good. All right. Well, then that is going to about do it for us this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening in, and we will see everybody next week. Bye-bye. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Whoa, look at that. Master of the one take.